offer this time up to you. Just thank you. Ask that you would begin this message and this presentation and this receiving. Lord, and that uh, your work has been spoken. Loud and Last week I began this series called uh, How Is Your Soul? And the whole idea uh, about this was to really talk about the material life, you know, the life of the believer and their relationship with God. And last week we talked about how important it is to be taking care of, of that part of your life, you know, listening to your mother's heart, listening to your soul, and what it has to say. We also talked about the idea of developing healthy spiritual habits, right, that are helpful in that uh, regard in terms of you know, prayer and Bible study and those kinds of things. And <clears throat> hopefully you downloaded the resource material that's available. Um, if you haven't, uh, let me know and I'll be sending a link again if you are new and think you would like to continue. Um, just let me know and uh, make sure I have your email address. If, if you fill out a connection card, that on there, then I will email you the link uh, this week so that you can uh, download the resources as well. Well, we're going to do three more areas you know, over these next three weeks. And we're going to talk about family, we're going to talk about work, and we're going to talk about your home. And so today we're going to pick this up by starting to talk about family and how family uh, has a part. So there was this book in a movie that came out right around 1970, I think. Uh, you might remember it. It was called Love Story. And it's this classic tale of mismatched love. You have the upper, rich, upper class boy at Harvard who falls in love with a poor, lower class girl from Radcliffe, and this romance develops. Well, rather than go into the whole thing, think about is the tagline of the and it was love means never having to save yourself. Now, despite the fact that this line is a total crock of gum, Scripture seems to kind of contradict that, but maybe it's just how I read it. Um, nonetheless, it was voted the number 13, uh, 13th most popular movie line or movie quote by the American Film Institute. So people liked it probably because it was popular. <clears throat> but I bring this up just to let you know that in my family, we have a slightly different version. In the Fane family, the quote reads something like this. Love means, yes, I will help you move again. <laughs> now, when this is delivered, my children, uh, and in particular my daughters, seemingly have two requirements that have to be in place anytime they move. One must be the hottest day of the year. <laughs> and two, there must be many, many stairs involved. 
Now, I have helped my daughter Barbara move about four times in the past year, not counting moving the house. And she's hit this daily double of heat and steps on at least three of the occasions. Now, the last time I helped her, which was about four years ago, uh, it was when she was moving into her apartment in Virginia Beach. It was so hot that I had completely soaked through my T-shirt by noon. And when we went to get lunch, I had to go to the you know, 17th Street surf shop in Virginia Beach to buy another shirt. And I did take a picture of the stairs leading up to her apartment. <laughs> That's how I remember it. Now see, on this particular occasion, it was just the two of us. Jarrett had had the good sense to go back to college. So by the time that we got around to moving her gigantic television set, now this was not a flat screen. This was one with one of those big honking picture tubes in it, right? We were, this was really, I think, the last thing that we had to get into the apartment. We were so exhausted that we literally both sat on the steps and pushed and pulled it up one step at a time. Because that was all we were, we were capable of doing. And so we're finally finished. We're passed out practically in our apartment. We are drinking water out of the only containers we have, which are little Tupperware containers that the apartment complex gave new residents as a gift. So we don't even have cups. We're drinking out of like stuff the dogs would drink out of. So, you know, we're pretty much completely spent, dying of thirst. She looks over at me and she goes, you're getting a really nice Christmas present this year. <laughs> and I said, yes, I am. <laughs> no, I didn't say that. But, you know, if it sounds like I'm complaining, I'm really not. Because helping out when you're asked, even if it's something that isn't your favorite thing in the world to do, is how I believe family is, and it should be, important. And when a family loves one another, they'll put up with an awful lot, or they will go to any number of lengths to support and care for one another. And that includes lending a hand on a day when it's sunny and temperatures in the shade, and both the old and the new apartment. But the reality is that how we view and how we interact with our families can really have an impact on the health of our souls. We need to tend carefully to our families. And I offer to you today that we should do this, we should tend carefully to our families for three reasons. The first of which is that your family is a divine family. Second, your family is a discipleship. Third, your family is a mission. So what do I mean by that? Or what's going on here today? Point one is that your family is a divine family. We're going to look at the scripture from Psalms here in just a moment. But, you know, I think typically families are important to me too. We all have this innate desire to belong, being part of something. We have a curiosity. 
ocean of possibility of all these new knowledges. And I'm quite familiar with the ancestry of Dr. Longwell. Uh, I was just looking around trying to search, and I did the search that I came up with this one link, which is courtesy of Family Tree Magazine. It's uh, the 101 best genealogy websites for 2014. So if that just gives you a seen the ad about the guy who had the later husband who traded him in for a kilt. Finds out he's not German, he's actually Scottish. So, uh, but the thing that we need to understand here is that kilts aren't really flat. And so, it's something that we have to consider when we're talking about the subject of theological. So, looking at Psalm 127, verse 3, it says, children are Fathers and mothers have got to acknowledge that each child is a divine gift. And yes, I understand there are days I would like to return to that divine gift. But those are just days. And overall, we do know that they are a divine gift. This quote from Susanna Leslie. Susanna is called by some as being the mother of Methodism because she was the mother of John and Charles. And John had family Methodism and Charles was of an enormous family too. Some of us don't like to hear that. That's common. <laughs> and so what she said was, I cannot but look upon every soul under my charge as a talent committed to felt I ought to do more than I had yet done, and resolved to begin with my own children. And so children are a highly valued prize in our family. They're the expression of God's grace upon the life of him. And so they're supposed to bring pleasure to him and be a demonstration of his love and redemption. And so we've got to get to a point where we see things that I found that I thought were pretty interesting. And for some of you, these may apply to your own kids. For some, they may apply to your grandchildren. Uh, and I think some of these apply even if you have adult children. But above all, what I want to emphasize is none of what I'm going to share here is used to God. And you need to keep that in mind. God created this thing called the human Long, long Time in 
make family feature activities. Uh, <clears throat> spending time in everyday family feature activity is associated with greater emotional bonding. <clears throat> so what they're saying is <clears throat> that a family's core leisure activities, which are kind of those everyday low-cost things you do, hanging out, playing board games, those sorts of things, it's all related to how cohesive your family is. And if you even go, you know, if you take in some of those other things, Things that require more planning, <coughs> such as a vacation. Those are related to the family's ability to cohesive. So this whole idea of spending time is very important. It says children and families that participate in religious activities together are more likely to report seeing expressions of These are all studies of sociology. Parents of families in which both the parents and children attend religious services are more likely to have their children as a social Children's academic success is associated with having mothers who frequently communicate. Children whose fathers spend time with them during activities tend to be better academically. Adolescents whose parents are involved in their lives tend to exhibit poor behavior. Youths who communicate through activities and have close relationships with their parents are less likely to engage in violence. Teens who frequently have dinner with Same lines. Children age 35% less to engage in disorder eating disorders, 24% more likely to eat healthy foods, and 12% less likely to be overweight if family shares at least some of those factors. Teens whose parents are home with them after school in the evening are less likely to experience emotional So parents who understand this, who treat their children as the divine treasure that they are, and you can do that just by being actively involved in their lives. Point number two is that your family is a discipleship school. And so the scripture used here is from Ephesians 6, 2 and 3. Honor your father and mother. So that it may go well with you and that you may be well off in heaven. Well, Paul is rightly seen here as 
according to the solidity of human life and of the extended household at the same time. And honestly, it's almost common sense that child obedience doesn't really depend on some kind of special revelation from God. It's really part of the natural law that we have within the hearts of life. It's not confined to standard behavior practice in really every society. For example, pagan moralists that were both Greek and Roman taught this. This was important. Stoic philosophers saw that a son's obedience was self-evident, plainly required by reason and part of the natural nature. Much earlier in the Oriental culture, one of the greatest emphasis of on the respect of the son or daughter to the parent. And so still today, through well, you know, centuries have gone by since Confucius, Chinese, Korean, and Japanese customs continue to reflect that. And indeed, virtually all the civilizations have regarded this recognition of parental authority as indispensable to having a stable society. And so we really shouldn't be surprised and in his letter, second letter to Timothy, Paul includes disobedient to parents as a mark of both a decadent society that God has kind of given up to godlessness. But I would be remiss if I didn't point out what our source was. Fathers, do not exasperate. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. See, when the ancient philosophers drew up codes of behavior, children were to be obedient. And that was the end of it. And of course, the picture that Paul paints of fathers as being self-controlled, gentle, patient educators of their children is very much in stark contrast The head of the Roman family was the, the pater familias. <clears throat> this was that's typically kind of referred to as the father of fathers. So this would be the oldest male in the clan, the tribe, or the clan. And William Barclay describes a Roman father by saying, <coughs> a Roman father had slaves. He put them work in his fields, even in chains. He could take the law into his own hands and punish as he liked. He could even inflict the death penalty on his child. And so Paul paints this completely different picture of the Christian father. Especially if that father had remembered what Paul had written earlier, namely that Fatherhood is derived from the one God and Father of all. So human fathers are to care for their families the same way that God the Father cares for them. But Paul also tells fathers and mothers, I guess we have to be clear, that is not to exasperate your children. And that usually comes when parents misuse their authority. 
could be by making irritating or unreasonable demands, which make no allowances for the inexperience or immaturity of the children. It could be by being harsh and cruel at one extreme, or by favoritism and overindulgence at the other, or by humiliating and suppressing the other, or by those two very vindictive weapons, sarcasm and these are some of the parental attitudes that provoke exasperation in children. Now, there is a place for discipline. I'm clearly not advocating not to commit discipline. But it must never be arbitrary and disarming. Otherwise, there's going to be an impact. And the converse of that is that you know, almost nothing cause a child's personality to blossom and the gifts to develop a positive, encouraging, and loving, and understanding behavior. And so keep in mind here, Paul is Paul always keeps things in balance, right, in his writings. And so he's talking about how children must honor their parents, certainly, and that it's obedience that he's talking about. It's in verse one of that passage. That at the same time, parents are not to be harsh or provoking to their children. So everything is, is in balance, is the way the wisdom of God has set this all up. And so growing up in a Christian home is intended to be a very positive experience for both the parent and the child, as long as. Across the whole history of faith, families have not <coughs> families have always <coughs> families have always had the same had the same spiritual greenhouse in which character. So <clears throat> we are to see our home as a place of spiritual training, a place to learn to love first, and for families to love God. <clears throat> and point number three, <clears throat> your family is a mission field. Proverbs 22.6 says, Start children off on the way they should go, and even when they are old, they should not turn from it. Now, Christians have explained this verse in a variety of ways, but the simple point is pretty clear. Parents are responsible to invest their energy in the instruction and discipline of their children so that they're ultimately going to follow the pattern that's been laid down for them in their formative years. So, faithful, skilled training only going to produce good results in adulthood. Is it an ironclad guarantee? Yes, it was. Because 
once we become an adult, we all have a choice to make as to whether or not we're going to follow the wisdom that's been presented to us in our training at home. Because once somebody comes to that place as an adult, we call it the, that open door to the way of life that we all have to sort of come to at some point. At that point, we need to be able to make a choice. Will we be able to walk alone through that? You know, have our parents shown us how we are to conduct ourselves? Have children been shown the duties, the dangers, and the blessings of this path of life? And have they also been given instruction on how to perform the duties and how to escape the how to secure the blessings. So this is the concluding question for the night. This is what you're to consider as you do your nightly devotions, your examination. and cherish each person. Help me to be a joint company with you in seeing the highest plans. 